This is the Incubator and the Neonatology Review Podcast. We are your study buddies for neonatology topics. I'm Dr. Ben Korsha. And I'm Dr. Daphne Yasova Barbo. Welcome. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Incubator and Neonatology Review Podcast. It is Monday. We are back with more content to get you ready for the Neonatology Board Exam. Daphne, how are you? I'm okay. <laughs> I'm, I'll disclose that the cardiology section is not my Your favorite, favorite section. Let me ask you a different question. We bought uh -huh. new mics that are expensive, and you're still using your old microphone. Listen, man, where is it? You just got to plug it in. It is bad. It's really just making it, okay? Some days. Fine, but don't lose the microphone. No, I didn't lose it. It's Fine. right here. Good. It's an expensive <laughs> one. We finally were able to upgrade. Um, All right. When I switch microphones, I want everybody to write in and say if they noticed a difference or not. They will. All right, hmm. buddy. So we're doing cardiac uh, physiology today. I, yeah. I guess I am going to let me. Um, we're going. I'm going to get us started with fetal circulation, which I think, if you can understand fetal circulation, you will be so much more comfortable with a lot of the transition that's happening at birth, not just from a cardiac standpoint, but also from a pulmonary standpoint. So, let's talk a little bit. Um, we're going to go in order. We are using, as you all know, the neonatology review series from Dr. Brodsky and Martin. We hope you enjoyed her, their tips and tricks for studying and for test-taking skills uh, last week. Um, we're using the third edition. Some people have asked about this. The third edition of the neonatology review uh, books have been available since 2019, I think, and they're divided into three volumes. We have the links for you guys to purchase uh, them online. Um, and yeah, so let's, without further ado, let's get started. So intrauterine blood flow. So there are distinct pathways of blood from both the ductus venosus and the inferior vena cava. So blood from the upper body drains into the superior vena cava, mixes with the blood from the IVC, the inferior vena cava, and the majority of this is combined, um, is combined and then travels to the right ventricle. Uh, from there, right, the blood flows from the right ventricle to the pulmonary arteries. Um, we have the main pulmonary artery, then splits right and left. Um, we have the patent ductus arteriosus that takes some of that blood into the descending aorta. Now, blood from the capillaries within the placental villi that line the fetal side of the placenta merge into the umbilical vein. Now, some of the umbilical vein blood provides flow to the liver, and the remaining umbilical vein blood then enters the ductus venosus. Now, this blood then enters the right atrium, and the majority of this blood crosses the, the, the foramen ovale, the PFO, right, which we know as the PFO after they're born, and enters the left atrium. Now, what's important to note is that the umbilical vein slash ductus venosus blood that is directed to the left atrium has a higher oxygen saturation compared with the uh, blood 
that we would potentially gather at the IVC-SVC junction, um, and that is then directed to the right ventricle. So, so far, so good? I think so. Okay. But I, I think... Um, I think those these are important concepts. They, it is not uncommon, like for them to to show you like a blood gas and ask you where it came from. So, if people are like, "How will I use this on the test or in real life?" <laughs> I think that's the most high yield is um, being shown yeah. a blood gas and asking you where is it coming from. And and we'll we'll get to that. We we do have um, we're going to go over that table with with uh, basically a blood gas mm -hmm. from either uterine artery slash vein or umbilical artery slash vein. And for those of you who need a refresher, right, when we're talking, so I think the, the those little um, shunts, especially the foramen ovale, the, the ductus arteriosus, I think these are the ones we're very, very familiar with. The ductus venosus, maybe less so because it's not something that physiologically we deal a lot with after birth, but it's basically, right, it's, it's a shunt at the level of the liver that is allowing blood from the umbilical vein to basically bypass the liver. I hope that makes sense. Um, another thing that's interesting, right, about the, the I guess, the principles of, of fetal circulation is that we tend to think, right, outside of pulmonary circulation, when we think of systemic circulation, we tend to think artery is my oxygenated blood and venous is my deoxygenated blood. But when we think about it, um, when it the, in the context of fetal circulation, blood that's coming from the mother to um, perfuse the infant is coming through the umbilical vein. And then blood leaving the baby is leaving through the umbilical artery. And that's an important concept. Um, because when we're going to go over um, the, the saturations, for example, of umbilical artery versus vein, it's quite impressive to see how basically your umbilical vein is your oxygenation, right? I mean, sats are usually in the 60-70%, while in the umbilical artery, you're probably going to get um, oxygen saturation of like closer to 30%. So I think these are important reminders of how uh, circulation, the fetal circulation works. Questions so far? Muted. I'm assuming you're you're saying no. <laughs> I'm, I'm shaking my head. No. Fine. No, so, I got it. I got it. I'm I'm there. Good. Um, in utero, the amount of blood that flows across the tricuspid valve is greater than the blood flow uh, going across the mitral valve. And after birth, the amount of blow of blood flow across these valves is equal, unless you have a structural heart disease. Now, the placenta is an organ that we need to understand because it's, it, it plays a major role in fetal circulation. It receives the greatest percentage of the fetal cardiac output. That's about 45% and is the organ with the lowest vascular resistance. Now, um, they have these nice diagrams in the... Um, they have these nice diagrams in the, um, in the books. And I think what's very interesting is to take a look at um, the blood flow really going um, from the placenta and seeing this sort of parallel system where um, blood flow returns from um, the IVC or can come through the ductus venosus 
and basically just shoot across the foramen ovale to try to go to the left side of the heart and to enter systemic circulation. The amount of blood that actually, um, in, in, in studies that have been done on animals, it's quite interesting to see that, right? Because if these are impressive numbers, looking at the number, at the amount of blood, the percentage of blood that actually goes through the foramen ovale, we're talking about like almost 30%. So a lot of the blood is being shunted into the left side, while 65 to 70% of the blood actually goes through the proper uh, pathway via the tricuspid valve to try to go to the right ventricle. Now, Let's talk a little bit about blood flow to the fetal lungs. By the way, I'm going to assume you're going to interrupt me if you have questions, and I'm not going to check in with you periodically that much. Um, so let's talk about blood flow to the fetal lungs, and how does that vary with gestation? So in the second trimester, right, fetal lungs receive only a small amount of blood, about 7 to 15%. And pulmonary arterial vessels, so the vessels going from the right ventricle to the lungs, are small. And that should make sense. The lungs really need to be developed, but not so much functional, considering that there's no breathing involved. In the third trimester, we have increased pulmonary vessel growth. And, for, uh, and because of that, pulmonary blood flow is increased to about 35%. So we go from 7 to 15 to 35%. And beyond 38 weeks of gestation, we're going to see a decrease in pulmonary blood flow to about 20% because pulmonary vessels become sensitive to the hypoxic environment and start going through vasoconstriction, which we're hoping that after the baby is born and um, the, um, the hypoxic environment that the baby usually lives in in utero is changed leads to vasodilation. Let's talk about blood flow through the ductus arteriosus. So that's something that we should pretty much all be familiar with. But the ductus arteriosus remains patent in utero because of number one, prostaglandin E2, and number two, because of, uh, number two, because of prostacyclin 2, PGI2, and finally, number three, because of thromboxane A2. Now, while PGE2, the, the prostaglandin, is important for ductal patency prenatally, if needed, the one that we would give to a baby after birth with a congenital heart disease would be PGE1. So they're not the same, right? It's not the same prostaglandin that we give after birth um, to keep the ductus open that actually maintains the duct open in utero. Okay, so next we're going to move to intra intrauterine cardiac ventricles. And, and what does that um, cardiac physiology really looks like? So in utero, the two ventricles, the right ventricle and the left ventricle, work in parallel rather than in series as it is in the adult, right? And what do we mean by that? We're taking you back to your days of, I don't know, what is it, high school science where you do like circuits and stuff? Um, um, where really the, 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 we, we see them in series as adults because they come in sequence one after the other. You go from right atrium to left, uh, from right atrium to right ventricle to the pulmonary vasculature, back to the left atrium, to the left ventricle in sort of this uh, chronological fashion. But in, in utero, we're, we're seeing this more as of circuits that are in parallel, maybe not even uh, not communicating too much with one another. The right ventricle supplies the majority of its output to the placenta and the lower part of the body, while the left ventricle provides output 
to the coronary arteries, brain, and the upper part of the body. So you may wonder, like, wait, what? Uh, how is that possible? How does the right ventricle? Well, the idea is that you have to remember that this is why all these shunts are open. So if you're wondering what provides the output to uh, the placenta and to the lower part of the body, it is the right ventricle because it is from this um, output going through the pulmonary arteries that this blood will actually go into the systemic, I guess, yeah, the systemic circulation going into the aorta. And so it's interesting to see that post-ductally, a lot of that perfusion is coming from the right ventricle. Now, and then it should make sense that pre-ductally, the right ventricle is going to have a hard time uh, perfusing you pre-ductally if the shunt, if, if the shunt at the level of the ductus arteriosus is going from, quote-unquote, right to left. And so, pre-ductally, the organs that you would find there, you would have the coronary arteries, you would have the, the brain, the upper part of the body, and so that's why these organs are the responsibility, I guess, quote unquote, of the left ventricle. So far, so good. Um, yeah. And as we were mentioning earlier, it's these ducts that really, these ducts that actually um, make it make it not fully a parallel system. If they were completely in parallel, then we'd be dealing with a congenital heart disease, which we'll talk about. All right. Now, because the right ventricular function in utero. Um, is to supply uh, more than uh, the, the, the right ventricle function in utero to supply greater than half the total cardiac output and the pulmonary vascular resistance is elevated, the right ventricular wall is, uh, the thickness is approximately equal to the left ventricular wall thickness. And the fetal right ventricular wall is hypertrophied compared to the right ventricular wall of a child and an adult. And that explains also a lot of the different findings you may see on EKG with that right ventricle sort of pushing things uh, to the right side. And so the right ventricle is the dominant ventricle in utero, supplying more of the fetal cardiac output than the left ventricle. In terms of intra questions so far before we move to oxygenation, I think it's a critical, I think it's a crit, um, the reason I'm stopping here is because it's a critical piece of information to understand that in utero, you're right ventricular dependent. It's very, very important, I think, to remember that. Yeah, I think reviewing these first few pages of cardiology make you go like, oh, that's why we that's see why. all those things clinically. Like, that makes sense. <laughs> like, yeah. um, so I hope people learn a lot. I, I think I totally agree with you. I think it helps you understand a lot about like how we manage babies, like you said, what we see on the EKG because of this system. and why our job is so hard because it's like a transition from one type of system to the other to another that we have and to like navigate yeah. and that right axis deviation on the initial exactly. BKGs, that's what i mean that's i'm gonna exactly try to why. i'm gonna try not to put too many things in one basket because otherwise you're like you're gonna not you but like the audience <laughs> will say like okay i can't keep up because it's too much information and we are only a podcast so we're trying to keep things uh, digestible as we go along <laughs> So let's talk about oxygenation. So the fetus lives in a relatively hypoxemic environment because there is mixing of oxygenated blood from the maternal uterine artery and the deoxygenated blood that flows uh, freely within the placental space. And so it's also something that you, you actually are the one that tends to often remind us on rounds or in the unit that babies tolerate a more hypoxic environment because of what they are exposed to at birth. 
um, we had that discussion, I think, not too long ago about the differences in hypoxic events for preterms versus full terms and how um, how the environment in which they're expected to be to be in may be uh, more hypoxic for for uh, during in utero. Are you saying I taught you something? Yeah, all the time. <laughs> I learn all the time. I am not. Uh, yeah. So um, if we're looking at the highest oxygen content of the fetus, you will find this, right? Before, if you think about it, you have to have entered the fetus and you pretty much have to have not gone through too many organs that would remove some of the oxygen. And so then- Which makes sense. Yeah, Every organ yes. you pass by takes away take its, oxygen. Takes its taxes. That's right. Uh, Monopoly style. That's exactly right. <laughs> The um, so then that would mean that the highest oxygen content of the fetus is found in the umbilical veins, with an oxygen saturation around seventy to eighty percent. Now the oxygen content in the SVC in the superior vena cava is low, with an oxygen saturation of about forty to forty-five percent, and that's mostly because the brain takes a lot of oxygen away from that blood, and so that's. The primary reason, and the brain is primarily responsible for that low oxygen saturation. Now, because of a large, because a large amount of the better oxygenated blood from the umbilical vein slash ductus venosus is diverted directly to the left side of the heart, and blood returning to the right atrium has a lower oxygen saturation. The O2 saturation on the left side of the heart that supplies the brain in the coronary arteries is greater, around 65 percent than the post-ductal blood from the SVC, IVC, and the right side of the heart that supplies the body, that's maybe closer to 60%. And so it's very interesting how nature has this way of making sure that the organ that needs to be adequately developed, the brain, the organ that requires the most oxygen, ends up through these different shunts getting the most oxygenated blood uh, sent which is about 65%. So these are interesting um, discussions because remember we spoken before this, we were talking about flow. Now we're talking about oxygenation. Um, and so all that, is, all that is quite interesting. Um, and so the last thing I was going to remind everybody is that it's important, if you're confused, it's important to understand the difference between blood coming back from the umbilical, coming from the umbilical vein directly from the mother to the baby and blood coming from the inferior vena cava, which basically drains back blood from the lower extremities. And, all, and, and the blood of the IVC, as we said, will mix with the SVC blood. And we're hoping that blood from the umbilical vein, um, a lot of it will go through the ductus venosus and then go straight uh, into the right atrium and the left atrium. OK, questions? Now, the last question we, um, one of the last questions we want to ask uh, for today is why does the fetus tolerate, how does the fetus tolerate lower uh, PaO2s? Um, and there are several reasons. The, Dr. Brodsky and mentioned four reasons here. The first one is because of the unique type of hemoglobin that babies are relying on, which is the fetal hemoglobin. Fetal hemoglobin has a higher oxygen affinity uh, compared to um, adult hemoglobin. And so fetal hemoglobin helps facilitate oxygen uptake at the relatively lower oxygenated placental vascular bed. Number two, increased O2 carrying capacity um, because of elevated hemoglobin concentration in the fetus 
as a result of a hypoxemic induced fetal uh, EPO production by the fetal kidneys. So a little bit like your, if you remember these days from internal medicine, where you have like those 60 year olds with COPD that need to have a higher hemoglobin in order to improve their oxygenation. That's kind of what's happening to babies because they're in a chronic hypoxic state. They, they make more red blood cells. And so they have, um, they have more oxygen carrying capacity. Number three, um, their consumption needs are lower. And so as a result of maternal thermoregulation, minimal respiratory effort, minimal fetal digestion, and decreased renal tubular absorption, they really don't need that much. So that's why it's another reason why they would tolerate a uh, lower um, PO2. And then finally, the last one is because of their ability to utilize glucose through anaerobic metabolism. And so I will send you back to your books, to your biochemistry books from medical school semester one, where you go through aerobic and anaerobic respiration. Look at those mitochondria. I'm going to try to see if I, what, what I can remember from these days. Um, the, the cellular transport. I'm, again, I'm losing it. But anyway, all these pyruvates and all that good stuff. But yeah, that's another reason. Um, and the fetus does have, um, in, case, in case of, as we were discussing before, in case the, the fetus is finding, him, finding itself in, in a worsened hypoxic environment, so like if, if there is a hypoxic injury around the time of birth, there are mechanisms um, that the fetus can utilize in order to, um, to minimize the effect of hypoxia. And those involved sending blood preferentially to the heart, brain, and adrenal glands, um, dilation of the ductus venosus, and going into uh, almost like a hibernation mode where the baby is suppressing respiration, bradycardia, and decreased cardiac output. Okay, buddy. I think, I think that's pretty good for today. What do you think? Should we, um, should we reconvene tomorrow? I think that's a good idea. Do you, would you like a question? Yes, ma'am. Okay. <laughs> Uh, good. This is cardiology question 12. The fetus lives in a relatively hypoxic, hypoxemic environment. The intrauterine circulation consists of two parallel systems that are not completely separated because of mixing at the atrial and ductal levels. The following vessels or chambers have oxygen saturations from highest to lowest. I'm not sure we should go through all the, all the options. I think it's confusing. Okay, so let's, so hold on. Um, the first step for me would probably be to open the book. I think that's a good, but you're asking about, yeah. Right, yeah. to go, is, to tell us in order. Well, yeah. The, uh, from highest to lowest, the intrauterine circulation, which, which uh, the oxygen saturations, which you reviewed. In I brief. <laughs> which, uh. Doesn't add any any more pressure, right? Just just which question are we doing? Which which question number is this that? This is twelve. This is question twelve. Right, let me just pull it up this way. I can see the. You didn't give me answer choices, by the way. As uh, no no no, I I think the answer choices would be very confusing. I think we okay should just hammer down. So from highest to lowest. No, we're not going right. to, we're not fine. What we're not going to do is that we are not going to read the answer choices because they they Correct. go. But let's see which one they mentioned. They mentioned we have the left ventricle, we have the umbilical vein, the SVC, the right ventricle, um, and that's it. So right. in, in, in order of 
highest oxygen saturation to lowest. Mm -hmm. So as we mentioned, the oxygen is coming from the mom. So it's going to go from the mom to the placenta, and then there's going to be a vessel that's going to enter the baby. And remember, even though this vessel is going this because this vessel is going towards the baby's heart, it's called the umbilical vein. So umbilical vein should be number one. It has mm -hmm. the highest um, oxygen saturation. So that eliminates choice A and B, which didn't start off with umbilical vein. Then um, we can do some test-taking strategy here where we can actually look at answer C and D and see mm -hmm. after umbilical vein, they give us two choices. Either they say that the next one would be the left ventricle or the next one would be the superior vena cava. Now, remember, the oxygen saturation from the superior vena cava is coming back from the brain. And we said the brain is a, a high oxygen consumer. Mm -hmm. um, and the left ventricle is, um, because it's getting um, a lot of that blood from the foramen ovale, has actually pretty good oxygen saturation. We said about like 65%. So then left ventricle should probably be next, which right away already Mm -hmm. allows you with two elements to actually pick your answer, which would be answers choice C. The following, yeah, I think the that's a great, you didn't right. have to get overwhelmed because you only no. needed to know a few things to just narrow down. And in interest choice C, the next one would be the right ventricle followed by the superior vena cava, which makes sense as we've said. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. So yeah, answer choice C, which is umbilical vein, left ventricle, right ventricle, superior vena cava. That's exactly right. You nailed it. Boom. That's right. So the highest concentrations, umbilical vein and ductus venosus, because they're the, it, the inlet, um, the vena cava, both inferior and superior vena cava, uh, have the really the lowest uh, concentrations because they're uh, coming back to the heart, if you'll recall. And the left side of the heart has higher saturations than the right side of the heart in the intrauterine circulation. Mm -hmm. So the oxygen saturations in a human fetus are estimated from studies in fetal lambs after mixing of oxygenated maternal blood with fetal deoxygenated blood in the spaces surrounding the placental villi. Oxygen is transported into the villi and flows into the umbilical vein. The umbilical vein has the lowest, has the, sorry, has the highest oxygen saturation of the fetus, about 70%. The superior vena cava has the lowest oxygen concentration of the fetus because of high oxygen extraction by the brain, an estimated saturation of about 40%. Blood from the umbilical vein, the inferior vena cava, and the superior vena cava return to the right atrium and the right ventricle, leading to a combined saturation of approximately 55%. Blood in the left atrium is a mixture of blood entering the umbilical vein and crossing the right atrium through the foramen ovale, um, as well as a small amount of blood returning from the fetal pulmonary circulation. So it's getting this high concentration, like you said, with a little mix of a medium concentration. Thus, the oxygen saturations on the left side of the heart tend to be higher than on the right side of chambers in the fetal circulation. Okay. Sounds good. See you right, tomorrow. Then. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Incubator and Neonatology Review Podcast. If you like our show, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. We would love to hear from you, so please feel free to reach out to Daphna and I via email by sending your messages to nikupodcast at gmail.com. You can also message the show on Twitter at NICUpodcast. Thanks again for listening and see you next time. This podcast is intended to be purely for entertainment and informational purposes and should not be construed as medical advice. If you have any medical concerns, please see your primary care practitioner.
Thank you.